Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome back. Um, last time we left off, I mentioned that one of the common errors is when you have a study, say, of the abdomen, and you don't look carefully at the lungs. And the way we noticed this was, when I was doing a lot of 3Ds, particularly, we had very thin sections, and often, when you're looking at the lung bases, you have thicker sections, three or five millimeter thick sections. Typically, we, now we only do threes. But on the 0.75s, you would pick up incidental PEs on patients you were staging pancreatic cancer. It's important to remember that in oncology patients, up to 5% of patients have incidental PEs, so it's not that uncommon. So a good rule is you need to look at those images. So here's a typical example. This is a pancreatic cancer patient, and there's PEs to the right lower lung, nicely shown. Now what's interesting to me is almost all of these incidental PEs have been found in the right lower lung. It's rare that I ever see only left lower lung. So I guess the rule might be is if you don't have that much time, just look at the right lower lung. You'll be 95% of the time correct. There's a recent article by Charlie White and his team in Maryland talking about the importance of being able to look at the lower lung fields, that uh, PEs are very common, and they're very commonly missed when they're on abdominal CTs. Now, one can argue at times that perhaps they're not that important. People talk about those small PEs. Maybe they don't mean anything. Maybe the patient's asymptomatic. In reality, what happens is you have oncology patients who are often tired, and when they have these tiredness or shortness of breath and it's vague, everyone assumes it's related to the primary process or to the patient's therapy, perhaps chemotherapy or radiation therapy. But often I believe the patients probably do have PE, and that is the problem, and we're just not thinking about it. So yes, they're small, and yes, people talk about perhaps they don't need to be treated, but in my experience, essentially all of the time, they're being treated. So again, a good rule is you have the lower lung fields, and especially an oncology patient, look carefully. We always look for nodules, but look, sure, look and make sure there's no PE as well. Okay, what else? CT is very good for picking up gastric pathology and staging gastric pathology, but I've noticed that there are potential pitfalls. If you do the study well, and that's the key technique, you can pick up small gastric lesions. Here's a small polyp that's less than a centimeter in size. Stomach is well distended. But what do you do in this case? What do you say about the stomach? Well, what can you say? Is that lymphoma, is that tumor, or is it lack of distension? You can look at the coronals and the three Ds, but some funny vessels, but is that abnormal or not? Are you gonna do endoscopy? Are you gonna do a repeat CT? Or are you gonna say, I don't know, or can't rule out, advise clinical correlation? You really don't know is the answer. Well, I'll show you this patient done a different time. The stomach was well distended, and that patient has had endoscopy. There are multiple polyps present. 100 polyps are seen in the stomach. But in those other scans, you really couldn't be certain. Now, in that last study, when the one we couldn't be certain, we knew about the polyps, and the patient was going to endoscopy to look at a pancreatic cyst, so we didn't give any water. But you could see what a catastrophe it could be. If you don't distend the stomach, you're going to miss pathology. Our rule is always give an extra cup of contrast, 250 cc's of water, or whatever contrast you're using when the patient is getting on the table. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Another thing is the issue with partial averaging. And I've seen this issue in this case, for example. Abdominal pain, looking for pathology. Red is negative, the diaphragm's elevated, that was commented on, but look at the fundus of the stomach. You see how it looks like it's thickened? But it's much easier to appreciate in the coronal view, 
And again, axial versus sagittal. You see how obvious it is in the coronal and sagittal view? It's very easy to miss things. So again, routinely look at your coronals and sagittals. I've seen this error particularly when the diaphragm is elevated. Other issues in the stomach, you look at this case, this was sent for gastric mass, and it may indeed be a gastric mass in the fundus or at the GE junction, but you notice cirrhosis of the liver. Whenever I see cirrhosis, I gotta think varices. When I think varices and I think arterial phase, I worry could I be missing something or overcalling something because in arterial phase imaging, the varices don't enhance. And sure enough, in this patient, when you go to venous phase, look at those huge varices. You don't wanna be scoping a patient for no reason or for the wrong reason if you have such varices which can easily bleed. And you can see it was simply a pseudotumor. It was just large varices, and here it is in axials, and here it is in 3D imaging. Again, very, very important pitfall. Another pitfall that occurs in many locations, but I'll show it to you in relationship to the stomach. This was a patient who was sent to us for a GIST tumor. 70% of GIST tumors, or gastrointestinal stromal tumors, arise off the stomach. So that's not a surprise, and here it is. This looks like a gist tumor, no ifs, ands, or buts. But when I did the reconstructions, I noted that it was enhancing at the periphery, and I thought that was kind of unusual. Sometimes gist tumors enhance, especially small ones in the small bowel, but this was kind of peripheral enhancement. Now, you can see I got a few more images, and it is peripheral, it looks like puddling. And when you say puddling, you say hemangioma. And if you look carefully at these images, although it looks at first like it's the stomach, you realize what you're looking at is connected to the left lobe of the liver. And this was a pedunculated hemangioma. A wonderful case, and when I followed it up to look at the path report, I saw hemangioma. I thought it was a gist tumor. Now the patient had left up a quadrant pain and needed this resected, but you can see what a mistake you could make. And again, we all make mistakes, and here's one where I didn't make the mistake the second time. This biopsied mass was an angiosarcoma, theoretically, but you look at it, it looks like the last case. It's exophytic, it abuts the stomach, it's coming off the left lobe of the liver, and the more you look, the more it looks like a hemangioma. And in fact, this was a hemangioma, but you biopsy hemangioma, and you don't think about that, and it was a non-contrast study perhaps, and the pathologist looks at a little specimen that's saying angiosarcoma. The patient was referred to Hopkins to resect an angiosarcoma when all they had was an incidental hemangioma. As long as I'm talking about the liver, let's speak about some pitfalls. We know that 30% of hepatomas can be missed if you don't do arterial phase imaging, and here's a nice hepatoma, two tiny lesions, but in venous phase, those lesions are gone. So when you're looking for hepatoma, you must have arterial phase imaging. If you don't have arterial phase imaging, as I just mentioned, expect to miss 30% of lesions. Now, a step further. Here's a case in a patient with a cirrhotic liver. You see a little bit of increased vascularity within the liver, okay? And maybe you say AV shunting, which is not uncommon in cirrhotic livers. And that's a good possibility. But look what happens when I take that same image and I put it into MIP. Now you notice that it's not just some random vessels like AV shunting, but there's neovascularity and there's a mass there. You don't really see a discrete mass, but you know there's something infiltrating. This was biopsy, here's a few more 3D images. This was a hepatoma. So again, something you wouldn't appreciate in the axial imaging is appreciated with MIP imaging. Vascular lesions are best detected with MIP imaging, and vascular lesions in the liver are better understood with MIP imaging. And you can see how easy it is to miss 
a potentially resectable lesion at this point. Now, very similar to the liver, there are mistakes that happen in the pancreas that are timing related. This patient was sent to potentially resect a distal uh, pancreatic tumor, and you see what looks like a tumor. Maybe it's from pancreas, maybe it's from stomach, but these are arterial phase images. This was felt to be unresectable elsewhere. But when you look at the venous phase, these are all varices. The patient did not have a gastric mass. The patient did not have a pancreatic mass. The patient had cirrhosis with varices. And look how nicely those varices are seen. This does make the point there are a number of potential errors with the pancreas. We've gotten really good. So sometimes masses near the pancreas, like duodenal masses, peripancreatic masses can simulate pancreatic lesions. We are getting better because we scan with dual phase imaging and particularly early arterial phase imaging. CT, which used to pick up only 30% of neuroendocrine tumors, now picks up 95 plus percent, but also we can pick up incidental neuroendocrine tumors even in the five millimeter range. And sometimes there are pitfalls, things that are near the tail of the pancreas. Is it a splenule? Is it a splenic artery aneurysm? Is it a neuroendocrine tumor? These are all potential issues. So just number one, small neuroendocrine tumor head of pancreas, five millimeters, very nicely shown on the CT images, really accentuated on the 3D. This does make the point about how good we are, but it also makes the point about timing. This was arterial phase. You look at this case and I say to you, do you see a pancreatic mass? And I'll circle the mass for you and you still don't see it in the head of the pancreas. There's no dilated common duct, there's no dilated pancreatic duct. But sure enough, if you had arterial phase imaging, look how obvious that lesion is, and here it is in 3D. Same thing, if you do not do arterial phase imaging, you will routinely miss neuroendocrine tumors of the pancreas. No ifs, ands, or buts. And it's not just neuroendocrine, it's any vascular lesion. This patient has a left nephrectomy, routine follow-up, 10 years, after a resection of a renal cell carcinoma, tail of the pancreas falls posteriorly, it looks good. But look what happened if you had arterial phase imaging 30 seconds earlier. There's a vascular metastasis which can be resected and you can have the patient go on for another 10 years. But it's only seen arterial, it's missed if you had the venous phase imaging. Now sometimes things don't look like they are. This was sent to us as a neuroendocrine tumor. We were doing the 3D imaging to look for resectability. But when you look at it, you see calcifications. Well, neuroendocrine tumors can calcify, usually centrally, not in the periphery, but still I could go along with a neuroendocrine tumor. But then when you look at the 3D, you recognize this was not a pancreatic mass. This was simply a splenic artery aneurysm that just was situated by the tail of the pancreas and simulated a pancreatic mass. Here it is in several more 3D views. And so this was embolized and the patient did not have a distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy. This whole area can be a difficult area. Accessory spleens are not uncommon, most commonly in the splenic hilum, and it's easy to recognize them in most cases, but sometimes it's hard to separate a neuroendocrine tumor of the tail of the pancreas versus a splenule. Sometimes splenules are inserted inside the tail of the pancreas. Key things are, look at its enhancement and compare it to spleen. Splenules enhance exactly like the spleen, and you can see very nicely on arterial phase, and on the venous phase imaging that this is clearly going to be a splenule. There's an article in press from Satomi Kawamoto talking about distinguishing neuroendocrine tumors 
for intrapancreatic accessory spleen, and it can be somewhat difficult, but the key finding is looking at enhancement and make sure things are enhancing identical to the way the spleen is enhancing. Occasionally, we noted that you can't be certain. Sometimes it's just so difficult, and you may need to tag red blood cell study with heat damage red blood cells or MRI occasionally. So again, um, it's not always a pitfall, but occasionally it can indeed be very tricky. Other things that can simulate pancreatic lesions, duodenal lesions are very common. So here's a good example. This looks like a pancreatic mass, there's no doubt. But look how good the GDA looks. There's no displacement. There's no common duct or pancreatic duct dilatation. And my experience is if you have a mass this large by the pancreas, it is always causing some sort of duct dilatation. Maybe it's a neuroendocrine tumor. They often do not cause ductal obstruction even when large, but then the lesion will have enhancement. This is so homogeneous, it's so smooth. If you look hard on the coronals, you can see some slight vascularity. This was a duodenal gist tumor. So I've seen duodenal gist tumors simulate pancreatic tumors, duodenal adenocarcinomas simulate, but again, that probably is not gonna be a big problem because the treatment of all of these is going to be a Whipple's procedure. The one advantage of thinking about a GIST tumor, if you know it's a GIST tumor, the patient will get the Gleevec before they get surgery. Now, kidneys are also a big issue in terms of problems. Now, the first thing I want to mention is the whole area about renal stone protocol and what it really means. Well, when you do a stone study and, you, and there's no stone, it means the study is negative. It means it's a negative stone study. It doesn't mean it's a negative kidney study. In a patient with hematuria and no stones, you need to look further because there are many causes of hematuria that you're not going to see on that non-contrast screening study. And kidneys are a big source of medical legal issues. And so what are the pitfalls? Well, pitfalls relate to phase of acquisition, image display, and rendering technique. So what about the phase? A couple pitfalls. One is this one. This looks like a renal mass in the left kidney, and it looks solid. And it looks like it even has some maybe minimal enhancement of faint calcification. It measured about 90 Hounsfield units, so you say renal cell carcinoma on that phase. Agree 100%. Expiratory phase, there's the mass again. Look at this alone, solid mass, renal cell carcinoma. Agree. But when you look at the arterial and delayed, the density does not change. In my experience, Lesions that enhance don't look the same number on arterial venous and delayed. The numbers do change. When you see the numbers the same, you better be thinking, am I missing a high-density renal cyst? And sure enough, non-contrast, there's the lesion. It's a high-density renal cyst. It's a leave-alone lesion, and the faint calcifications are there. So you want to indeed be very careful. So non-contrast alone is problematic, excluding a mass, but it can be very helpful in determining what a mass is. So when we do a hematuria workup, when we're trying to evaluate for renal mass, we'll always do a non-contrast scan first to make certain we have a baseline of what the lesion might look like. So non-contrasts are ideal for detecting renal calculi and also for calibrating what the density of a lesion is prior to giving contrast material. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago that there is no perfect phase, including non-contrast.
And again, the issue about why stones are done becomes very, very important. What I like to say in my report is no evidence of stone disease if patient's hematuria persists. Recommend further evaluation with contrast enhanced CT. That's not a cop-out. That's not a disclaimer. But I just worry that in the ER setting, when you give the information to the PA or the nurse or even the doctor and you say, no stone seen, it ends up being a negative CT. That's not the same thing. A negative CT means you gave IV contrast and then it's negative. Remember, non-contrast scans can miss small tumors, especially if they don't change the outline. They can miss polynephritis. They can miss vascular pathologies. So let me share an example. Hematuria, negative study. But look at the right kidney. It looks negative. You give contrast, no great surprise, two centimeter renal mass, seen well arterial or undelayed. And here it is all in the same field of view, okay? So easy to miss, but so easy to see and so easy to resect, this simple renal cell carcinoma. No perfect phase. That case, arterial was good, but look at this example. Right kidney, do you see anything? Look at six o'clock. Looks pretty good, maybe there's a tiny cyst there. But if I circle it, it's very, very subtle. This change in the cortical medullary interface there, it's very subtle, you say, and I agree. Here it is in the coronal, and it looks funny, like what is that thing on the coronal view? But you go back, wait five minutes, and now look how obvious the lesion is on expiratory phase imaging. Easy to see and hard to see. Now again, we always do two phases. You could miss things, again, emphasizing there is no perfect phase. I mentioned the, uh, and I've spoken about this in some of my renal talks, about the importance of coronal imaging, even for routine things. This kidney looked normal, but look at three o'clock. There's a lesion there. Now it's very subtle because there's a change in cortical medullary interface, and you could miss it, but you're never gonna miss it on the coronal view. Look how obvious that four centimeter carcinoma is. Again, here's a few more images. Look how subtle that might be. Yes, you should see it, I agree, but you weren't looking for kidney in this case. But look how obvious it would be if you simply got the coronal views. Bottom line, coronals in every case. Another example with coronals, this was read as a normal right kidney. And when you look at that mass there, it looks like it's the right kidney, but when you simply go to coronal, you realize it is the right kidney. It's the upper pole, that's true, but it's a mass off the upper pole, an obvious renal cell carcinoma that we missed if you only looked at the axial views or at least potentially missed. We talk about similar things when we look at the renal pelvis and ureter. Just a quick example. Look at the left ureter. It's not dilated. And I widened the window to show you what looks like a donut. Is that a real lesion? Reconstructed, look at that lesion in the left ureter. It's only a bit over a centimeter in size. And here it is in 3D. Let me cone down for you. There's an obvious, renal, there's an obvious lesion in the ureter. That was a transitional cell. Now you have to admit you didn't see the lesion because there's no obstruction, there's no transition point, but look at that subtle resectable lesion that you would have missed. That's obviously there. So again, reconstructions become critical. Now this whole idea about reconstructions is not just going to be the case in the ureter or the kidney, and I've spoke about it across many domains, but what we'll do is let's take a break here and let's come back in a couple of minutes and we'll do 
the final part, part three of this pitfall story. See you then.